chapter 16. We're going to be reading to you from verses 1 through 13. How many of you here today have ever played the game Uno? The funny thing is with these games, they have, once you get these games, they make all kinds of versions of them. They make Uno Attack, and you got Monopoly, and Travel and Monopoly, and it's just something, a scheme from the companies to, to make more money by making it in a different way. But at our house, sometimes uh, we like to play Uno, and we like to play Dutch Blitz. Any of you play Dutch Blitz? That's a pretty fun game, too. At the Ritchie household, we like to play Uno, and we like to play it with two decks of cards, and we like to hand out, like, when we deal the cards, we like to give out about 30 or 40 cards, okay? And a lot of times, and I don't like to play it in a big group because it takes longer, because this is my strategy. My strategy is to get rid of all of my numbered cards at the beginning. At the very end, what I like to do is when you can lay down, draw four, and then draw four more. And then when you're just playing with two people, the other person has to draw the four, and they don't get to lay down any cards. So I'll lay down, draw four, draw four, draw two, draw two, reverse it back to me, skip you. And, um, And then I really like the ones you have this one thing with like an X in it, and you can lay it down, and then you lay down all of your green cards. And I'll lay down all my green cards, and then I usually have the last green card that I lay down will be like a skip, so it comes back to me, and a skip again. This strategy seems to work out pretty good for me a lot of the times. Because sometimes we'll count, we've laid down like 30 cards at one time, just a whole stack of them, just lay them all down at once. Unfortunately, sometimes that plan doesn't work out very well, though. Because if you don't get rid of all of your cards, if you get rid of your five and your two card and your three card, if you don't get rid of all of your cards at once, and I also like the surprise factor. I like it when they see you having like 30 cards, and when you start laying down one, you lay down 30. However, it doesn't work sometimes, and when it doesn't work, and you have all of these draw fours and draw twos, they become a liability to you. You can either win really big or you can lose really big. And each of them are like 20 points or 50 points. And you may have a whole stack full of draw fours. And in your hand, at the end, they do you absolutely no good. In fact, they're a liability to you. Now, I'm telling you that story. And we're going to read here at Luke chapter 16. And we're going to tie that story in to our scripture. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is it that I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtor and he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallon of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 400. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushel of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master, I want you to listen to this. This is odd. The master commended the dishonest manager 
because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, our title today, we're talking about sowing with eternity in mind. Sowing with eternity in mind. A steward is someone who manages another person's wealth or their materials. He does not own the wealth himself, but he has the privilege of enjoying it and using it for the profit of the master. The most important thing about a steward is that he be found faithful. The scripture teaches us that principle. When he looks at the riches around him, the steward must remember that they belong to the master and not to him personally. And that they may be used in a way that will please the master and will profit or benefit the master. This particular steward wasted his master's resources. Now, we don't know if he was lazy, you know, because there's some people who are just downright lazy. They're given opportunities and they're given chances and they just waste them. We don't know if he was reckless. There's some people who are very reckless with other people's things. Or we don't know if he was greedy. We don't know exactly. Or selfish. But we know somehow that he wasted his master's resources. And when his master heard about it, he told him, you get things in order because you're done. I'm giving you two days to get things in order. I'm giving you three days. He gave him some period of time. The story doesn't tell us that. But he gave him a little bit of time to get his stuff in order because his job was finished there. Now, we need to understand this principle. That you and I, before we start getting all fired up about this guy and how lazy he was and how treacherous he was, we need to understand that each of us are also stewards. We've been entrusted with things, with life. We've been entrusted with opportunities. We've been entrusted with gifts. We've been entrusted with talents. And we are stewards of our time, of our talents, of our abilities, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you realize that God did not give that to angels to proclaim it, but he's given the gospel to us He's entrusted us with the word of God and we are responsible and also material possessions. We are responsible as stewards of those things. When we talk about stewardship, and I want to move on from this idea because oftentimes we think about stewardship and the only thing we think about is dollars and cents or things of real estate. That's not the focus. While in this portion of scripture, it's a very important part. It's not really the focus of all that we're going to talk about today. Christian stewardship goes way beyond our giving God a tenth of what we make. 
True stewardship means that we thank God for everything that he's given us. That means opportunities. That means time. That means talents. That means abilities. That means relationships. That we thank God for everything that he's entrusted to us. And the reality of it is this. When we think about stewardship, one of the things that's very important that we be good stewards of is our time. Because if you can make an investment and lose your money, and you can make that money back. You can lose money and you can go get a second job and you can lose your house and you can go back and get another house. However, when you and I waste or squander time, we've only been given so much. You can never take a minute of it back. You and I have been allotted a certain amount of time and it's very important that we make the best use that we can of the time that God gives us. The scripture speaks about redeeming the time. It comes from the business world, and and it means the idea of buying up the opportunity. You ever hear the old saying, you strike while the iron is hot? Ernie has opportunities, windows of time in which he's going to plant, and windows of time in which he's going to harvest. And you have windows of time, uh, windows of opportunity that come your way. And it's important that we redeem the time. The main lesson of this story is that the steward... As dishonest as he was, used the opportunity and prepared for the future. And the master looks at him. He knows that this guy, this guy took advantage of the position that he was in, but he commends him for it. Why? He says, because this guy's a wise guy. He had an opportunity and he made the most of the opportunity that was given to him. He took the chance that he had right now and the position he was in right now to set himself up to be in a better position in the future. This guy was going to lose his job. He was going to lose his company car. He was going to his company chariot. He was probably going to lose the place where he stayed. He was going to lose his expense account. He had all of these things that were coming his way. While they were going to be gone, he had an opportunity to prepare himself and position himself for the future. And the master commends him, and he's like, you did really good. Way to go. We're thinking, wow, why would he encourage him to do that? Well, for this man, even though he was dishonest, he used the opportunity and wisely prepared for the future. Life ceased to be about enjoyment and became about an investment. You and I are stewards of the gifts and abilities that God has given to us. And we need to use these gifts to serve him. One commentator wrote this. He says, the thief says, what's yours is mine, and I'll take it. The selfish man says, what's mine is mine, and I'll keep it. But the Christian says, what's mine is a gift from God, and I'll share it, or I'll invest it. Our lives, we are stewards of our entire life, not just of resources, And we must use our abilities, our time, our talents to win the lost, to encourage other saints, and to meet the needs of the world that's around about us. The final thing, just real quickly, we're stewards of the gospel. God has committed the treasure of his truth to us. When was the last time you invested it into the life of somebody else? 
The greatest gift that we have, salvation, the greatest treasure that we have is the gospel, the good news. When we share this good news with other people, it can transform their lives. It can transform our community. It can transform our families. It can transform the world. When was the last time that we just took it and shared it with somebody else? Because you are a steward of the truth and of the gospel that you have. The steward knew he was going to lose his job, and he could not change the past, but he could prepare for the future. How would he do that? By making friends with his master's creditors so that they would take him in when his master threw them out. He gave them each a generous discount, and he provided that they would pay up immediately. They were happy to cooperate, and there again, his master compliments him on this. Jesus doesn't commend this man for stealing or for encouraging others to be dishonest. Jesus commended him for his wise use of the opportunity. And he says this, the children of this world are experts at seizing opportunities for making money and friends and getting ahead. God's people should be just as wise when it comes to managing spiritual affairs of this life. I want to kind of get into the application and kind of relate this to our everyday life because it's important that we get there. But I got a couple more things I just want to share with you. In verses 9 through 13, Jesus gave some admonitions. He says, first thing he says, he admonishes us to use our opportunities wisely. Our lives and resources will one day end, so it's important to use them wisely. The second thing is to be faithful in the way you use your material wealth. Because if you're not faithful in the way you use money, you'll be unfaithful in your use of true riches, the scripture says, of God's kingdom. And finally, the Lord admonishes us to be wholly devoted to God or single-minded. He says you can't love or serve two masters any more than what we can walk in two directions. You can't walk north and south at the same time. And you can't serve two masters. You'll love the one and hate the other. If you choose to serve material things, then we cannot serve God. And if we choose to serve God, then we will not serve material things. Jesus is really calling for integrity or this idea of total devotion and putting him first. If God is our master, then we'll be his servants. And remember last week we talked about the thorny soil, the the seed that grew up amongst thorns. And one of the challenges that we have is we have good seed, we have good soil in our lives. There's a lot of people here, you have good soil. One of the dangers that I see for us as a church and as families and as individuals is that in the midst, you may have good soil, you have good seed, and the seed starts to spring up. The word of God's planted in your heart and it starts to spring up, but it gets choked out because there's other things, some of them even good things, that don't make room for the word of God to grow in your life. Our lives are so busy and we're so full of so many things, so many demands upon us, and even things that we could say are good, even things that are they're good, but they're not the best. So we need to be aware of that. Jesus commended this servant, if God is not our master, if he's our master, then we'll serve him. If he's not our master, then we'll become the servants of things. And things are a terrible master. The job is a terrible master. The mortgage is a terrible master. The debt is a terrible master. 
things of this earth, the material possessions, the responsibilities that you have in this life become a terrible master over you. And we don't want that. We need to start investing our lives. Jesus commended a servant because he was smart enough to look out for the future. Here's kind of, I want to kind of cut ahead to the chase. Did you ever hear the saying of the bumper sticker that the guy who dies with the most toys wins? Can I tell you he's still dead? He doesn't win. The one who dies with the most toys wins. I've told you before, I like to know what the rules of the game are. Tell me what the rules of the game are so that I can play. And also, I like to win. Do any of you like to win? I like to know what the rules of the game are so that I can use even the rules of the game to my advantage. Right? Okay, just tell us what the rules are. That's fine. I want to know what the rules of the game are because I can use them to my advantage. Luke chapter 12, we talked about this parable of the rich man and his land was prosperous. He had done a lot of things right and he was blessed. And his land was prosperous and he stops and he looks at himself and he says, Wow, my barns are full. I got so much. I've got to tear my barns down and I've got to build new barns. So I have room enough for everything. And that's what he did. He tore down his barns. He built bigger barns, newer barns, better storage in his barns. And he looked at himself and he said, I've done really good. I think I'm going to rest and I'm going to take it easy now. And the scripture says that God said of him, you fool, don't you realize that this day your very soul will be required of you? On Wednesday night, we talked about how foolish it is to end the game with a barn full of seed. It's like whenever Logan and I play Uno and I have all my draw fours, I got all my reverses, the skips, even the ones where you can lay down that one card and you can lay down all the other colored cards down. I got all of them in my arsenal. And whenever the game ends, if they're still in my hand, they count against me. I lose. Not only do I lose, but I'm way in debt. The reality of it is, is that one day you and I are going to stand before God and he's going to say this. What's left in your barn? Oh, Lord, I got all of these talents that I've stored up. And God says, oh, I entrusted you with talents. Yes, Lord. I got all of these opportunities that you've given me and I've been storing them up and one day I'm going to take advantage of those opportunities and you and I will be held accountable. Those very things will count against us on that day. See, just tell me how the game works. Just tell me how the game works so that I can position myself to win it. Well, here's how the game works. If you die or the game ends and you've got a barn full of stuff, of seed, It counts against you. It does you absolutely no good. In essence, the game is you want to get out every opportunity that God gives you. You may have talent. It does you no good unless it's invested. You're born. Your life may be filled with the word of God and you haven't shared it with anybody. It does you no good. Ernie can have a barn full of seed. He can have barns full of seed. And you know what? Unless it's sown... It doesn't do any good. And unless the things that God has placed in our lives are sown, they're wasted. 
The Bible called that man a fool. Why did he call him a fool? Because that's what his hope and that's what his trust was in. He may have said, in two weeks, I'm going to sow this seed. In two months, I'm going to sow this seed. And whenever his time was called, it accounted for nothing. He would just leave it for somebody else. Do you realize this? In this life, I'm a steward. Nothing I have really belongs to me. Nothing. What are you taking with you? Did a funeral this week. What are they taking? What is that person taking with them? They can't take anything. There's nothing that you can take, but you can, listen to this, can translate things from this life to life ahead. Imagine this. Imagine that six months from now, they tell you, well, you're going to have to move. For some reason, your job transfers you, and, and six months from now, you're going to move. And on that day, the company is going to buy your, or take your house or, or whatever that, the situation is. You're moving, and anything that's left in your house on that day, anything that's left in your house on that day, becomes the property of somebody else. So you have till December 31st at midnight. And on December 31st at midnight, anything that's left in that house is no longer yours. You can't get it. You lose the right to it. How many of you would leave a bunch of stuff in your house? What would you do? For most of us, if we've worked hard and we value those things, most of us would think, huh, you know what I can do? I can send it ahead of me. Or... I can give it to somebody else. I don't want to lose it. How about FSA? Flexible spending accounts. Did you hear of those? What are they? They're a means by which you beat taxes. Once again, just tell us the rules of the game. You tell us the rules of the game and we'll play within the rules. The rules of the game with a flexible spending account is this. You establish so much money that you're gonna, your employer is going to take out of your check and put in this flexible spending account. You have to use it by a particular date. If you don't use it, what do you do? You lose it. How many of you like to give your employer $3,000 back at the end of the year? Just as like a Christmas bonus to them. Boss, you know, you've been so good. Let me just give you back $3,000. You're like, absolutely not. You're going to find a way to be able to use up those resources. And if you don't, they're wasted. The principle of this parable is that this man was considered wise because he had opportunities and he made the most of those opportunities to prepare for his future. And Jesus is saying, the people of this world understand that principle. They know how to make money and they know how to influence people. But does the church understand that principle and apply that principle to spiritual things? You see that? It's like, you mean, Pastor, I can prepare for eternity? Yes, you can. Some of you have words of encouragement, and you have all of these nice cards that you're going to write in your head. You know what I mean? Just words of encouragement, words of thank you, words of appreciation. There's people who you would like to say, you've really influenced my life. You've been such a blessing to me. 
Thank you. And you got them all stored up in a barn right here in your head. And someday I'm going to give that word of encouragement. Someday I'm going to say thank you. Someday I'm going to go back to that person who influenced me and I'm going to sit down with them. I'm going to say, do you know how much you've changed my life? Thank you. But you know what? If the game ends before you get to sow that seed, it's gone. You can never do it again. Some of you have acts of service. There's things that you say, someday I'm going to do this for God. It's in your head. It's in your heart. Someday I'm going to do this for God. It's this desire that's in your heart. Someday I'm going to do that. I'm going to tell you something. If the bell rings before you've done it, no credit. It's lost. Some of you have gifts and talents and an anointing of the Holy Spirit, and you hold that back. Maybe you're gifted in certain areas of ministry of serving other people. And you hold that back and you say, well, when the time is right, at a better time, I'm going to invest that in the kingdom. Good intentions are not translated ahead of you. They're wasted. So words of encouragement, acts of kindness, acts of service, investment in the kingdom of God, of your life. In the future, I'm going to do that. I'm going to tell you something. If the game ends before you do it, and your barn's full, you're the loser. Because all of those things are wasted. And in actuality, they count against you. Because God's going to say, oh, you got a whole barn full of seed. Is that what I gave it to you for? For you to waste. Oh, you got a whole barn full of my word. And that's what I gave it to you for, to sit upon. Is God going to be pleased with that kind of servant? Absolutely not. The only things that are going to last and the only things that you can take with you are the things that you send on ahead. There's going to be a day when the game's over. Ding, 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 ding. All of your good desires, all of your good intentions, all of the seed that you have left over, if you've not sown it, it's wasted. Someone else, the principle here was someone else will take it. They'll do whatever they choose to do with it. I shared this on Wednesday, and I thought it was impressive to me, the person's account. I want to share it with you. When we went down and and built a church in Honduras, one of the things that we did is our church built a church down there, and then there was another building being built around the capital city of Tegucigalpa. Outside of the city, a number of miles outside the city, is the city dump. And at the city dump, nothing like you've ever seen. People live in places like that. And this is the way they make their living. The way they make their living, people go up. I'll be honest with you, I felt bad for the cows. Because there were cows and cattle that live at the city dump. And that's where they eat the garbage from the city dump. They graze up there in the trash. It's not like our dumps around here. My friend Sam and Evelyn... She saw this, the community around this dump, and there's all of these children who are just picking through the dump, little kids, like it's in our our kids' church, like in our little kids' church, little kids walking around with no shoes, dirty clothes, and they're picking through the dump, and they're getting bottles or plastic, and they take the plastic back. And they would recycle this plastic, and that's how the families lived. And there's some of the places where they would live. And these would be huge things of plastic up here that they would take, and they would put it together, and then they would take it to the recyclers. That's how they made their living. 
And Evelyn saw this opportunity, and she wanted to plant a church there. And she called it, and it's translated, the House of Diamonds. Because she realized that in these homes around here, there were a lot of diamonds in the rough. And that if they could receive the gospel, and if these children could receive teaching and training, and if they could receive a good meal and an education, that their lives could be different. And so Evelyn wanted to start this church and this ministry center there. And so she came back and she started telling people about what her desire was. And there was a woman who had at one of the churches that she went to, this woman had MS and she's dying. Her life is, you know, just slowly deteriorating away and she had several daughters. And so her goal was, well, whenever I die, I want my husband to take some of the money and I want him to do something for like a school and a feeding program. I'd like you to give to that. And her and her husband talked about it. He's like, well, why are we going to wait till you die? Wouldn't it be better if we could see it? And when we were on our trip down there, this man and woman and their family and their kids, their daughters, were with them. What they did is they went to the bank. And originally they, they were going to wait till she died and, and then they'd give something. But they went to the bank and they borrowed $50,000. And she said, and her husband said, we're going to do it now. We're going to let our daughters see. We're going to make a difference in the lives of these kids now. Now there's several hundred kids every day who are fed. They've tied up with Compassion. You're here at Compassion International. And people sponsor the children. The Assemblies of God has Latin American child care. They have a Christian school there. They have a church where families are getting saved. Husband, the People who are living together are getting married. They're getting saved. They're getting married. They're getting training. They're getting education. They're learning how to read and write. They're presented the gospel. And this woman said, I want to see it. Her husband said, why don't we see it now? 50000 They went back and they borrowed more money. And now there's hundreds of children and families who are hearing the gospel whose lives are being touched because she said, you know what? I got some seed. I don't want to waste it. I don't want to waste it. I got an opportunity. I'm not always going to have this opportunity. God provided for them to be able to pay the mortgage. God provided for them to be able to pay that off through business things. But she took the opportunity that God gave her and she invested in something that would never be able to take away. Her strength would one day disappear. Her ability to move around and to function was deteriorating. But before you take that from me, I'm going to sow my seed. Before you take that from me, I'm going to accomplish what God has put upon my heart. And I just want to ask you this today. What has God given to you? What has he entrusted you with? Now, I'm going to tell you this. You will not take any of it, anything that you can see. None of it will go with you. None of it will. Nothing. When the bell rings and the game is over, that's it. It's all done. The Bible referred to as the man who had stored up all this stuff in his barn as a fool. No matter what you're left with, when you leave, it's nothing. It's nothing. But just ask you this. Are you going to be considered wise before God? Are you going to leverage? I can't take any of it with me. My time, my talent my abilities, my gifts, 
my opportunities, my relationships. I can't take my resources. I can't take any of that stuff with me. But I can position myself for the life to come. I can leverage what I have here for a better life for something else there. I want to tell you the promise of God's word. It says this. We're talking about sowing. Sowing for eternal purposes. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. Where do you want to be in the line when you get there? I want to invest in this life. I made a purpose of my life. I want to invest in this life and leverage the opportunities, the gifts, the skills, the abilities that God has given me for the life to come. What is God saying to you? What opportunities has he's given to you that you can use material possessions, time, abilities to influence? Because if the bell rings and you have any of them left in your hand, any of them, they disappear. They're wasted. If you have a talent left in your hand when the bell rings... It's useless, has no value. If you have resources left in your hand when the bell rings, it's useless, nothing. If you have intentions in your heart, if you have giftings, if you have a prophecy, if you have a a spiritual gift left in your mouth whenever the bell rings, it's absolutely useless. But what we send on ahead, no one can ever take away. And it'll be going ahead before you. So we can leverage. And the Bible refers to this man as a wise man. Some of you may get discouraged. The things you've been sowing for eternity. You've been taking a time away from your family to serve the work of God. God says, whatever you've done for me, I'll give you a hundred times back over. We think of the missionary. We think of the people who serve in ministry who take time away from their brothers and sisters or for their family members to work in the kingdom of God, God says, I'm going to give you a hundred times more for what you've invested, for whatever you sacrifice you've made.